As my ex-husband said to me once, will you just stop talking? That was one of the final <laughs> things he said to me. <laughs> and then did you say no? Uh, he just walked out at that point and I was still oh. talking. <laughs> <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and it's looking like it's going to be a summer full of you all continuing to ask. My guest today is Jane Velez Mitchell. Jane's an activist, author, and host of the Amazon Prime plant-based cooking series, New Day, New Chef. Jane, it's great to have you here. I'm excited. I don't know what's in store for me, but I'm ready for anything. I really appreciate that you said yes, not knowing what this show even was. Well, I'm a big fan of yours. I loved One Mississippi. I love your comedy. I wish I had that deadpan ability, (laughs) but I don't. Well, I, I am a big fan of yours and have been for years, and I was thrilled to find out that you're gay and vegan. I mean, and sober. And, and sober. sober. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Now, Jane, we get a lot of questions about career changes on this show. And you spent four decades in mainstream news and then gave that up to start your own nonprofit, Jane Unchained News Network, dedicated to veganism, animal rights, and reversing climate change. What advice would you give people contemplating a career change? Well, if the pandemic has taught us one thing, life is short. Mm-hmm. Just live it. Don't worry so much about what might happen. I was in local news for many, many years. I worked in Fort Myers, Florida. I worked in Minneapolis, where I arrived in the dead of winter from Florida without a coat, without shoes that closed up, not knowing that there was something called a defroster. I almost (laughs) killed myself repeatedly driving into snowbanks. I had the most intense culture shock of my life because I'm from Midtown Manhattan. I just could not function. And uh, I survived two years. And then I went to Philly, worked there. Then I went back to my hometown, New York, worked at WCBS. Then I went to LA and I had this great job at Paramount Studios working at a local news station. Anyway, it ran its course. And uh, this guy, Harvey Levin, now of TMZ fame, yes, he was a friend of mine. We used to go karaokeing together. And he said, I'm starting this show called Celebrity Justice. And I can't find any reporters. I said, what about me? And he said, you do it? I said, Heck yes, I'd do it. And everybody said, you're out of your mind. It's going to last 13 weeks. You'll be labeled tabloid. You'll never work again. Don't make that mistake. And I said, you know what? Life's too short. It's an adventure. Harvey's like the smartest guy I know. I'm going to do it. Next thing you know, I end up covering the Michael Jackson trial. I'm on Larry King Live for the arraignment, for the verdict. Uh, And uh, then after that, I ended up filling in for Nancy Grace because I had been her reporter every night on the trial. Then because Glenn Beck decided to have a hissy fit and walk off the set. They called me and they said, you want your own show? And I said, yes. And they said, we'll call it Issues with Jane Velez Mitchell. And I said, great, because I have a lot of issues. And I thought it was going to last two weeks and it lasted six years. Wow. 
That's quite a trajectory. So your advice is just, just do it. Don't, just, don't waste yeah. any time. Get out there. So what if it doesn't work? You know, failure is also a good part of life. It teaches you humility. I've been humiliated and mm. that's also a part of life. You know, yeah. uh, show up with your open toed shoes and just get to work. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Mm. Just have some fun. Life's over in a, in a flash. Yeah. Say yes to things. Not everything. Not yeah. the army. No, ev- everything. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere you turn, say yes. <laughs> when did you uh, become plant-based? Well, I went to NYU. I told you about my little journey in journalism, and I mm-hmm. was uh, an anchor in L.A. when Howard Lyman came in to do an interview. Now, he was the famous mad cowboy, the fourth-generation cattle rancher, who revealed the secrets, the horrors of the cattle industry on Oprah. Uh And Oprah was then sued because she said that just stopped me cold from eating another burger. And he became famous for 15 minutes, the mad cowboy. And I interviewed him. And afterwards, he and his publicist walked up to my cubicle and they said, we hear you're a vegetarian. At that time, I was a vegetarian. And uh, I said, yes. And they said, do you eat dairy? And I kind of hung my head because he had just talked about how the mothers are raped and the babies are ripped from the mother after birth and the mothers bellow and scream and the babies are, are traumatized and the boys are either shot or left to die on dead piles or become veal. And I said, yes. And then he stuck his finger right in my nose and said, liquid meat like that. And that was the moment I went vegan. And that was about 23 years ago. Wow. That's kind of one of those uh, hard to see that it's going to be a positive in your life in the moment when it happens. Well, here's the interesting thing. Everybody says, don't shame people into veganism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, attraction, not promotion, be gentle. And Well, I was shamed into going vegan. If he had just said, well, we think maybe you should consider giving up dairy because there's, you know, I I don't think I would have heard it. But when they stuck their finger right in my nose and said liquid meat, I heard it and I gave up dairy at that moment. So uh, maybe sometimes people need to be shamed. Yeah, that's a good point. Or maybe I just enjoy that. Maybe that's just my (laughs) thing. It it seems like it (laughs) might be your speed. (laughs) Do you have any advice for people who might want to go vegan and want to try a plant-based meal? Yes. My advice is go vegan. Uh You know, if you want to go vegan, go vegan. Look, I'm 26 years sober, right? Mm -hmm. And for years, I could not go a night without a drink. And every day I would say to myself, I'm not going to drink tonight. Every night I drank. And then I hit bottom, making a big fool of myself at a party in Hollywood. And um, the next day I got some help and I had a psychic shift. And I realized it's not a question of saying I won't drink tonight. It's a question of I don't have to drink tonight. I'm free. I'm free. If there's a substance you cannot successfully negotiate with, and this goes for people too, The only power you have is the power to walk away. We are an addict nation. In fact, I wrote a book called Addict Nation. We are living in an addictogenic society. People are profiting off of getting people hooked on things. And people are hooked on meat and dairy. Entitlement, carnistic privilege. We talk a lot about white privilege. We talk about male privilege. There's carnistic privilege. But Mm -hmm. And this is not me talking. This is Dr. Melanie Joy. In a speech, she said, 
Privilege is when people regard a minor inconvenience as a major violation of their rights. Mm. It may be not even necessarily a minor inconvenience to go and take your hand from the breast milk of cows and grab a container of soy milk instead. Right. You know, get over yourself. We're barreling toward extinction. I I agree. I, I am realizing you are not the person to ask about easing into veganism. <laughs> well. There is not a quick, easy meal that you are willing to suggest to people. Well, how about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? This guy <laughs> That's said to all me, we wanted, Jane. Just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This guy said to me, he said, I've never had a vegan meal. And I said, have you ever had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And he said, of course. I can't believe it when people say that. I'm always like, have you had a side salad? Yeah. But again, that is not all that there is to vegan food. It's way more complex and delicious. I personally got more excited about food when I went plant-based. Before I was like, I didn't understand the obsession with cooking or going out to eat or talking about food. And then as soon as I made this shift, I'm, I'm you, but a little more toned down but I'm you. Now, Jane, you came out as gay when you were 51. It was a spur-of-the-moment decision. <laughs> and that's, right? Well, coming, the, the announcement part was spur-of-the-moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Not, not becoming gay. <laughs> <laughs> coming out. Coming out on a radio yeah. show was a spur-of-the-moment decision. What led you to making that choice of the the spur of the moment decision? Well, amongst my many travels and travails with uh, my news industry Mm -hmm. journey, I was between jobs and I was doing some freelance work at KBC. And I got into arguments with everybody because KBC, you know. That's hard to believe, Jane. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need some proof. All right, go ahead. Um, anyway, so I'm doing this long radio segment with this very nice guy who was a log cabin Republican, which is sort of an oxymoron, but they're, they're gay Republicans. Gay Republicans. Yeah. Yes. And we were talking about Senator Larry Craig, the toe tapping senator who was caught in the Minneapolis St. Paul airport. I remember. Who was trolling for a little action. And, uh, we were going on and on criticizing him, and my co-host was talking about how he came out to his mother, and all of a sudden, I started feeling this really deep shame and hypocrisy, and I'm like, I live with a woman, I'm attacking Senator Larry Craig, and this log cabin Republican next to me is talking about his coming out experience. I feel like a hypocrite. I, I just felt this shame, like... I'm not being authentic at all. So during the commercial, I said to him, I said, would you mind if I talked about that? And he said, go right ahead. So I called my girlfriend at the time. I said, will you turn on the radio? Because I think I'm going to come out. And then after the commercial break, I just came out. And here was the shocker. As my very entertaining ex-boyfriend said to me, uh, he said, Jane, I thought there was going to be some cataclysm. You know, I'm 51 years old, right? This is a big decision. So I was devastated because it didn't seem like anybody really cared. And and I called him in a moment of crisis, and he said, Jane, it's worse than that. Nobody's thinking about you at all. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Anytime there's any huge moment in my life that's uncomfortable or hard, 
And I think that anybody's dwelling on anything about me. And then I remember everybody's thinking about themselves. Nobody's exactly. thinking about me. Yeah. Yeah. But when you've been in the closet a long time to yourself, I was in the mm-hmm. closet to myself. And it's kind of a funny story. I was late to my therapist, which was par for the course. I was on Robertson Boulevard and I pulled over at a car wash because I said, I'm never going to make it there anyway. And then I called him and this was a payphone. This was back in payphones. And I called him on the payphone and I said, I think I'm gay because I wasn't face to face with him. Yeah. I felt the courage to say it. And of course, he probably knew that 30 seconds after I walked in his office, like uh-huh. how many years before. And he said, very good, Jane. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than my coming out to a therapist my first time. I looked up this woman in a phone book because I just needed to tell somebody. And I drove out in the middle of nowhere and sat on this woman's couch. And I said, I'm gay. And she said, no, you're not. No, you're not. (gasps) My head exploded. I was just like, I, I knew... I knew more than ever that I was gay when she told me I wasn't because it forced me to defend myself. And I I remember I got off the couch at the end of the session and drove straight to my girlfriend's house. And um, (laughs) I have been gay ever since. But yeah, that was a very, she wasn't my regular therapist, but it was such an odd session that I had, to say the least. Confusing. I think we forget sometimes how awful it was. And it's only recently that things have changed. Yeah. And so I think we kind of lose perspective on that. And what about for other people that are uh, weighing coming out later in life? Do you have any um, thoughts or advice for them? I would say that I can't make a blanket statement because I don't know the personal situations of those people. But the chances are, whatever your fears are, they're completely unfounded. And uh, it's going to be a big ho-hum. For Mm -hmm. most people in today's world, it's not going to be that incredible shocker that we think it's going to be. And, uh, you know, most people really intrinsically know when you're gay anyway. You know, I think there's a big factor that people on some level figure it out Mm -hmm. way before you do, Mm -hmm. or maybe in my case, way before I did. Yeah, it took me a beat. Uh, Not about you, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) about myself, believe it or not. Um, Well, Jane, it's time for us to take some listener questions. So uh, you said you're pretty good at giving advice, right? Yeah. Even even though it might not be great advice, you like to give advice. I enjoy giving advice, but I have no, you know, guarantees or any kind of uh, warranty provided. That's why this show is called Don't Ask Tig. I encourage people to not ask to just leave me out of it. And they, they write in and call in constantly, all right? So here we go. This first question, it concerns pricey footwear, and it comes from Tracy. A close friend came over to meet my new puppy and took her shoes off upon arrival. Indeed, my puppy chowed on her shoes. I offered to replace the shoes, but when she sent me a link to buy them, It turned out they cost $1,200 for sneakers. I do think I'm at fault for not keeping a better eye on my puppy. On the other hand, it's not my fault she spent so much on her shoes. Can I give her $100 and call it a day, or do I have to fork over the whole amount? 
Wow. Well, <laughs> why is this woman buying $1,200 sneakers anyway? I mean, that sounds like a very status-obsessed woman. We all know that you can get very cheap sneakers. And if you have problems with the environmental aspects of that, you can go to a vintage store and get vintage sneakers for probably like $4 or $5. However much they cost, maybe it would be reasonable and kind of funny to set up a payment plan and pay half, pay half. I think something else could be done Mm -hmm. with the shoes that's Mm -hmm. more interesting. For example, you could turn it into an art piece. I have a friend who actually asked... An art piece? Yes. uh, A friend of mine... Maybe I'm starting to agree that you're terrible (laughs) at giving advice. No, if if some dog chewed up my shoes and somebody was like, let's turn it into an art piece. I would be like, <laughs> yeah, it's it a $1,200 art piece. Pay me for the art piece, $1,200. I think it could be a very uh, thought-provoking art piece, and uh, you could paint something on the shoes. Like, I have a friend who paints Meat is Murder on the little tip of her sneakers, like the uh-huh. little white tip. Yeah. So there's a lot to do with them. You don't have to. I don't think she should. No. If you can't afford to break it, don't buy it. <laughs> If you can't afford to ruin $1,200 shoes, you have no business wearing them. And so it's on you. That is good. That's like going to, you know, out to eat. And if you are asking how much the meal is, you can't afford to be there. Scram clown is what I like to say. All right, Tracy. I'd say that's what we think. It is what we think. But it really came from... Jane, I mean, you heard her, right? She's losing her mind over here. Write us back and let us know what happens. Jane, sit tight. We'll be back with more questions after the break. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. Jane, this next question is most definitely in your wheelhouse as a world-famous vegan chef. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer writes, I'm a single mom to a hilarious and strong-willed nine-year-old boy who recently announced that he is vegan. Don't get me wrong. I'm on board. What advice do you have for a time-strapped mom to get good vegan meals on the table and into his belly? Oh, and did I mention that I'm also cooking for his 90 and 88-year-old grandparents? Um, Wow. I feel like the peanut butter and jelly sandwich is going to come up again. It could. It could. But see, there's the inherent carnist bias Mm -hmm. in that question that Mm -hmm. somehow it's going to take longer to make something vegan. So Mm -hmm. we always come from that carnistic bias where it's going to be more expensive, it's going to take longer. And actually, it can either take less time because you could be raw 
or mm-hmm. it could take the same amount of time. And uh, you could also get your son involved in the cooking. Now, mm-hmm. some fun things to make are, I just made them last night. Uh, oatmeal cookies. I made mm-hmm. them. And those are so much fun for kids to make. So get your child involved in the cooking process. And then you could feed that vegan food to your elderly grandparents so that they live longer because the best way to ensure longevity is to go plant-based. So it's a win-win for everybody. Your son is clearly smarter than everybody else in the family. Yeah, and, and, so, and a yeah. nine-year-old boy and 90- and 88-year-old grandparents are not going to be upset about living off of cookies, right? Yeah. Now, uh, a caveat here, I I don't advocate junk food veganism. You could eat Oreo cookies and technically claim you're a vegan. I do believe it's very important to eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes. I try to incorporate kale in my diet every day. Uh, my, my favorite dish is a Beyond Meat remix. I put about an ounce of Beyond Meat with tofu, onions, garlic, uh, mixed vegetables, and uh, I actually use a sliced tomato to give it some sauce so we don't have to use too much oil. I whip that up all together, and I put that in a, in a tortilla. Absolutely delicious. That doesn't take very long at all. It would take the same amount to cook a dead animal as it does, same amount of time as it does to throw in a veggie burger. So mm. I, I think just open your mind to the possibilities. There's a whole fun world out there. I mean, I have two four-year-old hardcore vegans, and um, and I'll tell you, making their meals is not only is it easy, but it is such a pleasure because I know that I am feeding them the healthiest possible food, and a lot of what is on their plate is it, it's essentially finger food, and like Jane said, that it, it could be raw food. And I know that sounds extreme, but it's hilariously not extreme. It's just certain fruits and vegetables. So you could go the route of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but then there's also kind of a more pure way and I think very quick way to feed children. And I will put on the plate a seed mixture of watermelon seeds, sunflower seeds, whatever seeds that they enjoy, a little bit of nuts, a little mixed nuts portion, air-popped, non-GMO popcorn. Also, my kids love arugula. Every day, an arugula salad with tomatoes, cucumber, celery. I also slice up apples and then make sure that they have berries, avocado on the salad, So that's a pretty typical meal. And it sounds minimal. And that's where I always try to remind people it's decent sized portions. And if they eat that and they want more, they get more. I've put photos online of the meals that I feed my sons and people will write, that's all they get. And I always write, yep, that's right. And if they ask for more food, I always say no. That's a very healthy, well-balanced meal. Would you agree, Absolutely, Jane? I agree. And there's so much uh, societal demonization of vegan food. Actually, our great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents ate much more vegan than we do because they didn't have uh, the fast food. And so they ate uh, collard greens and they ate uh, Brussels sprouts and they ate all sorts of things. And so uh, 
we really are cheating our children if we uh, deprive them of vegetables. And if you get them started on vegetables when they're young, they will embrace it and they will love it. Jennifer, those are answers from bona fide experts in the subject. Happy cooking. Jane, Maya in Canada needs some guidance on kicking a bad habit. Oh, well, that I'm an expert on. The bad habit part. I know you are. Maya asks, hey, guys, I'm 14, almost 15 years old. In no way am I proud to say this, but I have a terrible nicotine addiction from the use of vapes. I started vaping a year ago because of peer pressure, and I've been spending a ton of money on pods and overall feel like shit. What advice would you give somebody who wants to quit vaping? And also, how can I say no to peer pressure without seeming weak? Let me just say, Maya, my entire adult life and probably young adult life, whenever anybody asks me if I had any regrets, and I always have said proudly, no, I have no regrets. And over the past year during the pandemic, while I've really had time to sit down and think about some stuff a little further, my biggest regret Although everything in my life has led me to where I am right now, I understand that. I really still feel my biggest regret is ever smoking cigarettes. And I've seen the damage that it's done to my body. I know it's a hard lesson to learn without seeing the destruction yet that this type of addiction and um, unhealthy habit can destroy your life or your health. So um, I don't know. I just, I remember I quit at 25 and I told myself, I don't want to be 50 saying I wish I had quit when I was 25 and I just turned 50 and I'm so glad that I did quit when I was 25, but I'm still paying for it. So that's what I have to say right out of the gate. Jane, do you have anything you want to? Well, first I'd say, Congratulations for admitting you have a problem because mm-hmm. before you can solve a problem, you have to admit you have a problem. So she's already mm-hmm. on the journey toward yeah. kicking it. And there is something called Nicotine Anonymous. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just like all the other 12 step groups. And you can gather, you can research it online. There might be online meetings that you can go to and you'll find out you're not alone. And uh, you have to take whatever addictive substance, take it all the way to the end. In other words, I could romanticize alcohol and think of a couple of good times where I was, everything stayed together and it was glamorous. But uh, what I prefer to do is think about the times where I humiliated myself, where I experienced just incomprehensible, like, is that me? Oh my God, the next morning. So Uh, Take it to the end. But also a lot of times people think they're having a glamorous time, but they're not reading themselves correctly. (laughs) I've seen that too, (laughs) where people are like, well, I only had a few drinks and I was having a good time. It was a glamorous and it's like, it wasn't. It wasn't totally as glamorous as you might think. It's ugly. It's ugly. It's not attractive. And so all the things you think you're going to get you think it's the solution, but it's really the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I hope, Maya, that you you turn the ship around because 
everybody starts smoking whatever they're smoking because they think they're going to look cool. And there is truly nothing lamer. Whenever I see an adult smoking, I immediately think, oh my gosh, you poor thing. You started doing that years ago to look cool. And it's, uh, it sucked you away. Maya, Jane and I believe in you. You can yeah, do you it. you can do it. You can do it. Jane, this is the last okay. question. Comes from a concerned friend. Michael wrote in to say, My best friend is struggling to start a business of her own and is convinced she can open a bakery. I recently tried one of her cakes that was made out of Funfetti cake mix, <laughs> and I did not have the heart to tell her it was a terrible idea after choking down a chunk <laughs> of sprinkles. What should I do to sway her from an impending disaster? Oh. I feel like Jane would be very straightforward and, and say this is disgusting. But I, here's what I think. I might have a group of friends or friends of friends come over for a taste-testing party, mm. you know, to, to yeah. celebrate the start of, of your friend's business. I would say, you know what, I'm going to host a taste-testing party, and uh, we can get the word out. And people can give you some feedback on what flavors that they like the most. And maybe people could, you know, drop little uh, notes in a box of suggestions or or just directly say, eh, this one isn't great, but this one is. You know, what do you, what do you think, Jane? Well, first of all, uh, I hope that if she does create this business, it's a vegan bakery because you don't need eggs to uh, make cake. Or or milk, and, or or milk. Yeah, you don't. It's all irrelevant. You do not need it. You do not need but it. But the bigger thing is, people are on their journey, and it's very hard for us to steer people on their journey. And one of the biggest, the toughest things in life, I think, is to realize people are on their journey. They're going to do what they're going to do. You're really, you're really powerless. And generally, when you give people advice that they don't want to hear, they turn on you. They don't appreciate it. They're not realistic about it. So it's, so it's very likely if he says you know, anything, she's going to say, you know, you're not supportive of me. You're a downer. You're a toxic. And she's going to do it anyway and find out one way or another. So my feeling is stay out of it. It's not really your problem. And um, she's going to find out on her own if her food is inedible. Jane. <laughs> But what do you think about the taste test party? Come on, that's pretty good. That'd be fun. No, it's a debacle. If indeed the food is inedible, you're setting her up for a giant intervention. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a guest on quite like you, Jane. You are just, this is how it is. And you can cut right through everything. And uh, I, I feel like I have a lot to, to learn from you. Well, so. don't take anything I have to say to heart because I could very well be wrong. Well, of course. But Jane, I thought I was straightforward a lot of times. And I feel like around you, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm the most spineless <laughs> person 
that's ever existed on this planet. I mean, the again, the very beginning of the show, you were like, I don't know what this show is. I just said yes. And I'm like, oh, it's an advice show. Oh, well, I'm terrible at advice. I love giving it. And um, you're great at advice. So um, congrats to you. Well, maybe I'll start my Jane. own advice podcast. I know. Yeah. Take all, take all my listeners. <laughs> No, I I think that would be terrible. I have to learn to listen more. This is my challenge. I like to interrupt and talk. And I'm really trying to learn now that I'm all by myself during this pandemic and mostly talking to myself uh, to listen more because I'm listening to myself. You're not in a relationship? No, I'm looking for a sober lesbian vegan. If you know of any, Mm. I think there may be four or five in the continental United States and... uh, some in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can hook Jane up with a sober <laughs> lesbian vegan. Um, that could be my uh, spinoff podcast where I try and get you uh, a life partner. I, I don't Jane, want a uh, life partner. I don't even really – I am at the state where I just – I am not really necessarily even looking for a relationship. I think it would be fun to flirt and go to dinner. That That's like kind of – would be entertaining. I have no ambitions past that. I think we're going to find you somebody to flirt with and have dinner. Sober, vegan, lesbian. Let's hear the phone ringing off the hook. All right, Michael, we hope that that helps with your friend. And Jane, those are all of our questions. But before I let you go, there's one more thing we need to do. And it's a segment called Advice of Yesteryear. When Jerry brags about taking Ginny out, he learns that she dates all the boys. So as we see now, menstruation is just one routine step in a normal and natural cycle. How do you choose a date? Well, one thing you can consider is look. I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to lunch. Mm. Here, we take a real question from an old advice column, and we try to give a better answer. This question comes to us from 1952, from Dorothy Dix's advice column, Dorothy Dix's letterbox. Dear Miss Dix, I am a girl of 14 with a comfortable home in which I like to entertain my friends. The drawback is my grandmother who lives with us. She is so sarcastic that I am afraid to bring my friends home for fear she will insult them. My mother and sisters also suffer from this problem. How can we work something out, Sandy? First of all, can you imagine a 14-year-old writing so properly these days? No, that's... To say, I am a girl of 14? If indeed she is a girl of 14. (laughs) She could be lying about that. Well, do you remember Maya? She's a girl of 14 and 15, And she's writing in saying, overall, she feels like shit. (laughs) Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Well, things have changed. (laughs) Things have changed. Things have definitely changed. Well, it seems like the only answer is to lock the grandmother up in a room. I mean, that's the only thing we can do. That would be um, possibly illegal today. (laughs) Wait, it was legal? In 1952, to lock your grandmother. Well, they used to send people off to asylums. You know, they would give people shock therapy. Uh, they did all sorts of horrible things to people. Uh, 
back in the day. No, I know. But you feel like there was a rule book that said Sherlock grandmother in the in the room if you're having if you're entertaining. Uh, I that think day? it was it was very common in those days to take the uh, relatives and just put them in in another room. I don't I don't know if you could do that today and get away with it. Because there's cell phones. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Granny's going to get on Instagram. She's going to go live on Facebook. Yeah, she's going to go live live on Facebook and rat you out. Uh. So what would you do in 1952 if your grandmother was sarcastic? I mean, why is sarcasm such a problem? I mean, if I were a grandmother, I'd be locked in a... I'd be locked away, live streaming in the back uh, bedroom. I would say that we the the messages and the lesson is we don't get to choose our families. We don't get to choose our family members. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to bring everybody home to see our dysfunctional family. I would say get together at Starbucks. Yeah, in 1952, Or Jane? Horn and Harder. <laughs> Do you want to know what Dorothy Dix's advice yes. was? It is most unfair for an older member of the family to drive guests away. And it's a very <laughs> it's a very difficult problem to solve, presumably since the other members of the family also suffer from grandma's caustic wit. They have tried to curb it. Firmness is the only tactic to use. She should be asked to hold her tongue when guests are present or stay in her room. Her feelings won't be hurt as much as you think. Sarcastic people have amazingly thick skin, though they like to pretend otherwise. I don't feel like sarcastic people like to pretend like they don't have thick skin. I feel like it's the opposite. I agree. It's because they have... A victim mentality that they feel entitled to be sarcastic and they're usually very thin skinned. But I don't think this was like. I'm sarcastic. Are you? Yeah, you are. You are sarcastic, aren't you? You have that little like layer of sarcasm running through everything. You you know, in other words, you you have um, like a self reflection happening while you're talking, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I got your number. I could see that when you talk to people, like, (laughs) I've got your number. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's good, though. I, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's not sarcasm, though. That's not nasty sarcasm. You don't come off that way at all. No, I've talked about this before, whereas I feel like I didn't know how to use my comedy when I was younger. And I think that I did use it the wrong way, or I, I did hurt people's feelings at an old job of mine, somebody hurt my feelings because I messed up at the cash register. And this woman said, you know, it's not too late to go to college. And while there was a line of people and I was mortified. And when the line died down, I said to my boss, uh, oh, I want to go out there and tell that woman, you know, oh, thank you so much. Because of you, I just applied to college and I'm leaving for school. And my boss said, listen, I am on your side. And if you want to go say something to that woman, I have your back. But I don't support you fighting fire with fire. If you want to go out there and be direct, great. But if you're going to go out and be sarcastic, then I don't support it. But she said, I would support you saying what you said was inappropriate and hurt my feelings. And in that moment, even though I didn't go out and say anything to that woman, 
It was such a massive lesson to me on how to use my comedy or sarcasm. And um, anyway, it's uh, it's something I'm well, thankful I, I, for. I used to not like to go to comedy clubs because I was always afraid that somebody mm-hmm. was going to say something very nasty. Nasty about mm-hmm. me or somebody else. And so many of the comics mm-hmm. are put-down comics if if they're not putting down somebody mm-hmm. based on something that they have no control over, their gender, their sexual mm-hmm. orientation, their ethnicity, their race, uh, they can't be funny. And uh, to me, the greatest mm-hmm. humor is observational humor. And it, I think you have mm-hmm. that. I got what, it, got takes, what it takes, kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jane, we've reached the end of the show. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to not just do this show, but do this show that you didn't even know what the heck it was. I mean, that's really going out on a limb. I thought, whatever. You showed up. You didn't know if it was on camera. You were like, I got myself ready in case this was on camera. You didn't have a clue. What if I was just pranking you? I would have enjoyed that, too. I would have enjoyed that, too. I'm here by myself in a pandemic. I got nothing to do. That's that's right. We got to find a sober, <laughs> vegan, lesbian for Jane Velez Mitchell. Uh, do you have anything you want to promote, Jane, before we... Uh... Well, I mean, check out janeunchained.com. That's our hub. And we go live. You know, we do the, the cooking show on Amazon, which is also on public television stations around the country, stem from us going live on our cell phones. Every single day, we do a live video, Lunch Break Live. We've never repeated a recipe since the advent of Facebook Live, not by intention, just because there's so much versatility and variety in vegan cooking. So check it out, facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell or janeunchained.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. For helping me and my listeners out. (laughs) Good luck in your new relationship. Well, I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted (laughs) with that breaking news. (laughs) Are you enjoying the show? If so, give us a rating or review on the Apple Podcast Store. It's easy to do, and you can do it right now. What are you waiting for? Seriously. What? Why are you waiting? Do it. And tell a friend about the show. If you think they like it, or even if you think they won't like it, tell them. And tell them to review the show. What are you waiting for? Do it.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Ouellette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our editors are Phyllis Fletcher and Beth Perlman. Executive producer, Lauren D. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by Christina Lopez. Talent booking by Marianne Waves. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman, Lily Kim, and Alex Shafford. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. You can also follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 